Welcome to Tools for Liberty, a program designed to intrigue you, to stir your nerves, and to offer your mind critical thinking and adventure. I'm Jay Dillon Proctor. I'm Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Anthony Alegria. And for those who are watching this, you can see we're, we're in the process of building a new, more permanent studio, so that's exciting. So bear with us for any technical difficulties that may emerge today. But at the same time, we've got an exciting program. We've got some exciting stuff put together for, for today. So today we're going to talk about head transplants, um, the commodity of productivity, and roaming virtues, which is something we've kind of hinted and talked about in the past, but we're going to revisit. So for our first topic is going to be um, head transplants. And so while we were doing some research for this program, we saw on the news that a scientist, and I will try to make sure I pronounce his name correctly, is Sergio Canavero came out with a statement earlier today saying that he successfully did a head transplant. It was between two corpses, but he was able to connect all the various, um, the spinal cord and the nerves and all the different things that have to be connected, I guess, for this to be considered a success. And I think we have a picture of him coming up. So you can see here that we've got two pictures of him, but one of them actually is not him. One of them is from a video game, Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain. And whenever you're looking at this, the likeness is just uncanny, and they're both involved with, you know, decapitated heads. heads it's unbelievable the likeness is. And the question is, did this guy grow into the, like, the archetype of supervillain? Or, or how, did, how in the world did this coincidence happen? Does this just what you look like if you're in the business of chopping heads off? Um, I don't know. But this dude, he looks like a legitimate... Like Which picture came first? <laughs> it's, it's a good question. He looks like a, a true mad scientist. He's got the, the whole look down. He's, he's the complete package. So yeah, so there's like some very mad sciencey things that are going on here. Um, he and his team of scientists and other and surgeons and specialists and, and the like. They've been doing these experiments for a while. They've started with rats and monkeys and various things like that. And uh, they feel like after this success with the corpses that they can move on to live uh, people. And that they feel, I think, fairly confident in the next few months they could do it and do it successfully. But yes, there there, there is a quite a bit of a, a worry here because this, this does seem to be something more villainy and mad scientist than it does seem productive. And so it much so that... Um, United States and Europe have denied him the ability to do those practices oh, yeah. in those areas. So he's in China currently is where he's doing his experiments. Oh, yeah. There's there's a whole lot of, of villainy going on here. And one of the things that makes this, like, so scary is that this is really not the first time this sort of thing's cropped up. Um, Vladimir Dimikov has been doing this back in the 1950s, and he influenced some other people to, to do some other surgeries. But he was taking dogs, and he would take pretty much the... A, a portion of the dog being the head and really shoulders and attach it to another dog's neck and we've got some images of this and I would like to give a disclaimer if if children are watching this you may not want to let children watch this or if you're somebody who is disturbed by things which are actually disturbing do look away for a few moments because these dog images are pretty bizarre uh, Vladimir Dimikov's dogs that they would surgically attach two dogs together and they would live by the way these were not just on deceased corpses of dogs these were on legitimately living dogs and this raises a lot of questions. Um, when you look at this, first off, you may ask, would you rather be the dog on the bottom or the dog on the top? Would, how, how does the dog even feel about this situation? Because they've still got the legs, the dog that's attached on the top. And so there's like six legs involved in this thing. It's a bit, it's a bit weird. It's a bit weird. It's something which is quite disturbing. 
Well, I think another question we could ask is, I mean, like, imagine being a human. Like, who would you want to be attached to, you know? Who would be your favorite? Who would be, like, your first pick? And who would be your last pick, you know? Um, I, I think either way that that situation would be quite quite horrific. There would definitely would be people that would be a little bit more palpable and others you, you would utterly hate. Um, but, um, yeah, either way, it would be quite disturbing. And I think from that we can kind of go, as we look at, uh, where is this going? And we can look back in our history and all the different experiments that have happened in science and medicine and the sacrifices that took place for those discoveries to happen. And we can be grateful that now we kind of stand on the other side of these discoveries. We're thankful for things like heart transplants and um, even brain surgeries and different things we can do because someone took the initiative to do something a little outside the box. But then we're left with this kind of experiment that does seem to be moving towards the area of kind of cruel, especially when it comes to these poor dogs who just had no choice. And so we look at this and we begin to wonder, I think, about uh, the the means and do they does the end justify what's happening in these experiments? Yeah, where does one draw the line between the pursuit of truth, the pursuit of learning, and then the, the pursuit of, of pity and actually doing things with empathy for the dogs which are being experimented on and even for the people? And one of the other things that, that's interesting about this, if anyone was a fan of the X-Files, the 2008 sort of movie, which is an extension of the actual program, they, they had a, a special movie that came out where the whole plot was centered around them taking heads off of people and putting them on other people. And it was pretty disturbing at the time. I remember when we were watching this, because like, this, this was really happening with dogs and things. They tried this with monkeys, and there's even some speculation they, they had tried this in the past with people, but now they're quite openly doing this with people. Again, a lot of the the modern world, the Western world, says this is not acceptable behavior. So the question we have is where do we draw the lines? Do we want? Where, where are we going with the, the dog head surgery and the people corpse head transplants? Right, so in our next section we're going to talk about roaming virtues, and this really is going to be connected with what we're talking about now, kind of these examples of the mad scientists, so to speak. But where do, when we look for the pursuit of truth or discovery and uh, scientific exploration, uh, where do we go from there, and can it be taken too far? So uh, come back and join us for our next segment. So in this segment, we're going to talk a bit about roaming virtues. This is something we've discussed in the past. And just to give you a quick overview of what this, this material is about, is essentially that whenever in a culture, in a society, a moral structure falls, something like the church loses its place from really being influential, people go from being heavily religious people to people who may just on occasion involve them, themselves in a, in a church community or something of that effect. It's easy for us to predict that that not only will, will people cease to, to be involved in, in the learning of the church doctrines, but also people may become more interested in things which are traditionally associated with like sin or immorality. The vices are set loose whenever a moral structure falls. However, and as pointed out by G.K. Chesterton, one of the things that is historically more dangerous than the vices being let loose is when the virtues are let loose, when the virtues themselves are, are unfettered, they're untied, when people no longer have an institution to teach the virtues, the virtues get out and they go around and they roam. And this is a very dangerous thing. Well, uh, what would be a roaming virtue? Well, essentially the, the concept of roaming virtues is this. When people don't go somewhere where they're taught a cohesive moral structure, and sort of what we get in, in pop secularism where people are, are taught things where you go and you, you sort of pick and choose virtues. 
When people aren't taught the bigger picture behind virtues, when they just sort of select a few here, they, they are detached from the larger picture. In the past, we had asked the question to, to think of a virtue and ask yourself, is this separate from other things in the world? Take something like the virtue of charity. Is charity connected to the virtue of truth? Is charity connected to the, to the virtue of, of protection? And it's easy for, for people to pick and choose things in the world, and you even see this within the church, people picking and choosing things. But as, as we look at history, we don't really know how complex the world is. And the moral instruction of the church and the moral teaching of the church, which is something which we don't so much do in our, our culture, there is something bigger about this picture, which is beyond just insert pop culture issue here, but it's much bigger. For instance, the, the idea of truth needs to be connected with the, the idea of pity and the idea of empathy. empathy. And the idea of charity needs to also be connected with truth. In, in our modern world, we see this big issue where a lot of people, they, they want to go out and do things that are compassionate. They want to be involved in things which are loving. They really have a, a watered-down or petty version of love that is no longer connected to such the virtues such as transformation. In the New Testament, we get the language of the Logos there in John 1, this thing which changes chaos into order. When you separate love from the Logos, you get a lot of, of dangerous things which happen. You get people who enable people who aren't really helping in situations. And that's really what the roaming virtues are, is when you pick and choose virtues and you only use one. So we can kind of look back in our previous segment and see where maybe the virtue of truth or pursuing these scientific discoveries have gotten detached from things like compassion and pity, where especially when we've seen the poor dogs that have no choice other than to be tied to another dog, uh, or not just tied, but uh, sewn together um, for these experiments and just probably the, the horrific life that they now have because of that. Um, and the pursuit of truth is definitely a great thing. It should be something we all look after, but to kind of disconnect it from the other virtues, from seeing what really is going to be life-giving, and to take these things out of their context and out of their connections, really can produce some quite horrific things. Um, and they're hard to talk about or have a discussion about because on kind of face value, they look good. Um, truth, love, uh, compassion, uh, mercy, all those things we're like, well, those are good things. It's something we should kind of pursue full, full-heartedly. But if we do it without keeping them in their connection with these other virtues, then we have these things like dogs being um, surgically put together or um, other just kind of horrific ex experiments that we've seen in the past in our history. Well, I think that it should be obvious that not every roaming virtue is going to be as easily determined as a roaming virtue as this as I mean just look at this picture of what the roaming virtue of seeking truth is there's not very much good to see about that well and that's true and I think that's where we we look into to understanding and we're called for critical thinking is because some of them are going to be obvious I mean we can look at the experiments that were done in Auschwitz and say this was obviously out of place this was not um, as much as those who participated in it said this was for science this was for truth we can say that the results of it and the process of it really wasn't virtuous. It wasn't life-giving. And then there's going to be some that are a little less difficult. And like Dylan mentioned about when we see someone hurting, sometimes our natural reaction is to give them a hug or something like that. And maybe that's a good first step. But if that's all we do, if that's the only kind of virtue, if that's the only life-giving thing we do, then we fall in short of connecting it with transformation and other things. And so those may be a little bit harder to see, a little bit harder to kind of parse out, but that's why we're called to, um, to be critical thinkers and to judge appropriately.
And that's one of the reasons why roaming virtues are so dangerous. And as a society, we like to imagine people as being heroes and villains. This is sort of the, the archetypes we like to classify people at. And we look at things like even what was going on in Auschwitz and, and Germany and even things going on in the Soviet Union. We look at this and we want to say, oh, these people are monsters. But what we fail to see is a lot of times these people aren't actually motivated by, by just things that we would put out there as being clearly evil. A lot of times the evil that they're doing, which is evil, is motivated by something that the, the perpetrator actually thinks is some, some variation of an, an end goal that is connected to some virtue. For instance, somebody who is enabling someone else, they, they have somebody who's addicted to drugs and they give them money for drugs, they're loving that person. They think that this is the, the way to carry on with that, but it's really causing destruction. You look at things like Hitler mass killing people, they believe that these people were actually, they, they were infectious to the other people. They were infectious to the human gene, pop, the, the genome of, of humanity. And if you could eradicate them, you were doing it a mercy. It was a thing of, of disinfecting the human population. They, they believed there was some order and virtue of cleanliness that they were pursuing. But at the same time, it's extraordinarily evil. And one of the things that I think is also interesting about this topic, and earlier I would mentioned the Logos, I think it's interesting how the Logos is not actually order itself, it's the tool for changing things from chaos to order. Because it's more valuable having that tool to move us towards order than to just invest in order at a given time and place. Because there's always going to be someone bad come along, there's always going to be somebody who picks and choose, chooses virtue. And it's easy to manipulate people when you're picking and choosing virtue. If you're, you're selling to a population, well, we're disinfecting a, a problem, which we see this in our own world today. If we're, we're committing genocide to disinfect us from a problem, people will go along with that if you, if you sell it to them as being some sort of virtuous act. So roaming virtues are a very dangerous thing. They can, they can lead to a lot of destructive things throughout history, and it's very bad for us to just pick and choose virtues without realizing that they are connected to other things. We need to be critical thinkers, as Amanda said. And we need to appreciate the very deep connection that virtues have from one another. I think this is also bringing up uh, something we had talked about. Uh, as we look into our scripture and understanding kind of the story of not only our history, but how God works in the world. So one of the, I think, most misunderstood story is even the story of the fall. And we see in Adam and Eve, and sometimes we're just like, okay, they just kind of disobeyed, uh, disobeyed this arbitrary rule that God had put in place. And really, we're thinking of it, we're not even starting with a good theology of God, but when we see this in Adam and Eve, is they were told the serpent deceives them and saying this is good for knowing what is right and wrong. And what really the kind of the great sin that's happening in this story is not some great evil, um, but it's that they were saying that they now had the wisdom to decide what was good and what was wrong. And we can see that again throughout our history in all of these examples where people decided this is the virtue that's going to save us and then this one's not. And we can pick and choose. And what we find also in the story of God and as he interacts with Adam and Eve and later throughout the people of God is that God is always calling people back to the right understanding of what is virtuous how these virtues are connected, how love and truth and compassion can all work together, produce things that are quite life-giving, that transformation is happening. And as we learn and grow, that we are continually learning what is appropriate, what is life-giving. But ultimately, we trust in God to give us the wisdom, the logic, the logos, which is the word, which is Christ, the embodiment of what it means to be a blessing to the world. And we're about to move on to our next segment. But one last thought. In our, our modern world, we, we have a lot of people who do like to pick and choose virtues. They like to, to axe the, the systems where morality really comes from. 
The huge question that we can ask is, can you have morality without faith? And that's something we may look into doing another conversation on here in the future. But taking it, for instance, Hollywood, all of these, these people have been exposed for a lot of corrupt things. Hollywood has been somewhere for, for a very long time. They've, they've really vilified the church. You can see in a lot of things that they, they really have been vilifying the idea of the nuclear family, the, the idea of, of Christianity being the, the origins of our virtues. And here in the West, the Judeo-Christian value system has been what has shaped our, our nation. And as they've moved around with that, they've tried to, to create new virtues. They've tried to, to pick and choose which virtues they want to, to have. But they haven't realized the bigger picture of how these things are connected. And as we've seen as Hollywood has been exposed in, in politics and a lot of things where all of these, these sexual mis, misbehaviors have been coming out and the light is being shined on them. And, and we can see in our culture that we've made a huge mistake by thing we can, thinking we can pick and choose virtues without realizing the bigger picture and the necessity for the organization and the connection of these virtues to one another. Well, on that note, we'll be back here in a moment, and we'll see you then. So for our last topic today, we're going to talk about the commodity of productivity. And the last thing we kind of left on in our, our previous segment was this idea that, that Hollywood has really been exposed for what it is. They've tried to pick and choose virtues. We've got a lot of people who are celebrities trying to be moral figures in society when they're really not. This is what happens when we, we try to, to let the, the virtues roam and they, they run wild. A lot of destruction, a lot of chaos comes out of that. Well, one of the, the reasons that Hollywood has really had a lot of corruption in it is that they, they value the commodity of aesthetics more than they value more, more precious commodities, such as the commodity of, of productivity. And so we wanted to just have a, a few moments to talk about really the importance of picking good role models in our life, uh, both as adults and even for our children, saying we, we want to look to people in our communities, people that we can say that we can assess them as individuals, not as somebody on the other side of the, the world or on the other side of the country, and realize we need to go back to valuing the commodity of productivity and not just the idea of aesthetics and the commodity of, of being a celebrity. So I think kind of to help us in our conversation, just kind of clarify the words we're using. So when we're talking about the commodities, what is kind of part of the value system? Is what is the most important and how can that be traded and used to get um, whatever anyone wants? And obviously we can see places like Hollywood, but also just even in our own communities where aesthetics or something that seems flashy or that's important or valued is um, put more important than something that actually is productive. And so we're talking about more than just kind of a product that people were only good if they produce something, but we're saying that productivity is doing something that benefits themselves and others, that, that helps build up the community and how that really should be more valued than something that's simply pretty. Um, and so we can see that we were talking earlier about kind of various people we knew through college who were putting themselves in thousands of dollars of debt and not that we're bashing colleges. All of us here are either went to or are currently going to college, but they went into fields that were valued kind of simply because they were held in high esteem, not because they would actually um, give them the means to live a good life. And so as we look at people, regardless of their education or their skill set, that we should value the people who are doing something that is actually going to be productive. Yeah, and this even ties back to the idea of, of not just picking and choosing virtues, but productivity is not just about a product. Like Amanda said, it's something which, which is a tool which helps people contribute to society. 
sort of like the idea of the logos changes things from chaos to order. Productivity is this idea that we can go out and we can enhance society. We can do things which are productive, where we're where we're contributing, we're being meaningful people, not only to the to the to the bigger picture of things, but to those immediately around us, even within our own friend and family circles. We need to, to get back to the place where we really do value and appreciate people in society and the roles in society, things like nurses, people who are who are going out and, and giving life. And an example on the, the nurse topic we had talked about is um, Amanda's husband is an, is an RN, and in something like an RN, you have to go through a residency because there's an actual time where you're going to be in charge of, of caring for people. And the hospitals and, and institutions, they want to be able to trust and rely on the fact that you are somebody who is capable of, of being a productive person. You're capable of caring for other people. And that's this idea of us valuing the, the commodity of productivity where we realize that there, there is a, a sincere and needed virtue of people who are reliable, who can do things which really contribute to society, and we can, we can really rely on that. We're not just having people around because of whatever they can contribute in terms of aesthetics, but we're having people around because we want to be able to do things which are meaningful in life, which take us to a higher purpose and can outlast aesthetics, which tend to, to fade over time. Yes, and it doesn't mean that we can't find things that are pretty or even enjoy Hollywood movies, but we don't put them in the place of really deciding what's good and what's the best and kind of they shouldn't be our role models and that seems kind of cliche but um it's something that we kind of say like oh yeah you know movie stars shouldn't be role models we can see in their life but then we we live and order our lives kind of in the opposite direction and so we're really asking as we look around and especially um with the next generation that is coming behind us as we're helping shape them how who are we orienting them towards are we orienting them towards people who are just doing stuff or who are valued only because they're aesthetically pleasing or because they're actually creating real and meaningful change in the world around them yeah so my challenge for you find role models for yourself people who are real in your real life not just somebody on the screen find role models that you can really strive to to live by and if you've got kids you know find real role models for your kids find people who have that commodity of, of being meaningful in society and, and don't just pick and choose virtues but look to, to build a life where, where you really are developing a, a large and holistically complete moral structure to the best of, of our capability and, and have good role models. Well, I think that's uh, the end for our section and for our episode today. Unless, Anthony, have you figured out who you would uh, want to be attached to? If you were part of the experiment that we were talking about in our first section, mm. painfully enough, I, don't, I really don't. I I think I, it's easier to think about who I wouldn't want to be attached to. You <laughs> know what true. I mean? Like it's a lot easier to be like, no, I could not stand that person. But then it's like I wouldn't mind having my upper half of my body and arms being attached to that guy. You know, that's a little awkward <laughs> that's to try to say. To the point of looking like Quato, if you've got like your upper, for that's a, a total recall reference there. But. It is easier, which, again, you're going to look like a monster no matter how that situation ends. No matter how that situation ends, you're going to be a monster. So I guess it's really easy to decide who you don't want to be attached to because I really don't want to be attached to, to anybody um, surgically. Um, that, that sounds really bad. That's taking the idea – that's taking the virtue of saying people become united. That's taking, like, the, the um, virtue of matrimony too far. Just um, a little bit. The one flesh. Oh my yeah. gosh, man. Yeah. That's terrible. It's terrible. That's way too far. Don't pick and choose the virtues. <laughs> However, we may add a new segment um, in the future of, of Anthony's platitudes from behind the curtain. 
Um, again, we're, we're playing with things. We're playing with the format. We're playing with the, the studio. Anthony, do you have any platitudes to share with us before we close today? You got to get better at something off camera before you can get any good at it on camera. <laughs> All right. Well, there's your, your cheap platitude from behind the curtain. Anthony is the man behind the curtain. He gets a lot of names. We're trying to find out a funny name for Anthony. If you have a funny name for Anthony who is very helpful, um, please share it with us. But on that note, we hope you have a blessed day. If you would like to share and help us out, the best thing you can do is, is share our stuff, whether it be by sending links to people, subscribing. That will help us out tremendously. And on that, have a blessed day. Thank you.